be working on these units for three months, four months, interiors, nobody cared. As soon as the exterior got fixed up, people started stopping by. So it was a marketing thing in itself. And also the exterior things, they are anyways CapEx costs that you would eventually do. So we were like, okay, my, anyways, we needed a new roof. Uh, the bricks and mortar was you know, kind of falling apart. So we painted the building dark gray, made it look a little bit more modern to attract our target tenant base who are millennials. So they really like modern looking buildings. What a year 2020 was. 2021 is here and I hope you're hitting the ground running. I know we are here at Dwelling. We've just got a deal on the contract we're going to be closing on soon. For those that have joined us on that deal, um, you know what I'm talking about. If you are saying, what am I talking about? Then you need to take your investing game to the next level in this year. So make sure you join the Dwelling deal list, an exclusive deal list. Um, not only do you get access to our deals quickly, but you also get tips and tricks about you know how you can take your, your investing game to the next level this year. So if you are not on the Dwelling deal list, click on the link in the show notes or just go to Dwelling.com. Um, that's D-W-E-L-L-Y-N-N.com or just go to investwithola.com and just sign up, sign up, sign up, sign up. Thank you so much for joining us on The Dwelling Show. I'm your host, Ola Dantes. I've got an amazing, amazing, awesome guest with us today. I've got Jay on the line. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ola. Thank you for having me. No, my absolute pleasure. You have a fascinating story that I, you know, I cannot wait to share with the audience today. Um, so maybe let's kind of jump right into it. Just tell us, you know, who you are, what you've been doing, and kind of what you've been up to lately. Absolutely. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks, Ola. Uh, my name is Jay Balikar. I'm based in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been here for the last 11 or so years. Originally, I'm from India, grew up in India, moved to the U.S. I went to, I was in Texas for my undergrad and then moved here into Cincinnati for my grad school. And that's how I basically ended up here. So been living in Cincinnati since then. And I do have a travel job, full-time W-2 job, where I work for like IT security consulting type of work. And especially since uh, the COVID situation happened, uh, I've been working remotely. So since last year, since I was working remotely, I thought of making a good use of evenings and weekends started investing in real estate, something that I've always wanted to do. I've been, have been educating myself on that. And then finally the opportunity presented and some of the, you know, the, the time also opened up. So I was like, okay, might as well use this time, uh, put that education to use. And earlier last year, January, 2020 is when we bought our first property and started actively investing in real estate. Yeah. I mean, I love just interviewing people that are just, you know, just just got started like in a couple of years. Cause one, you have a fresh energy. Two, usually they're humble, right? They're not trying to beat their chest and talk about the 50 billion units they have. So for me, that is just like so refreshing. This, these are my, my favorite interviews. Of course, there's value in the guys that are well experienced as well. Uh, but I think a lot of folks that listen to this, that, that's why they're listening because they're trying to get started, right? And you've yeah. just done that. So um, maybe kind of just start with that first property. Um, well, actually, no, I want to go back. Like, 
So you said you've always wanted to invest in real estate and you know, you're going to grad school, you're now living in Cincinnati. I mean, why? I'm sure you had a good paying job. I'm sure life was great or maybe okay. Why bother to invest in real estate? Yeah, I mean, multiple reasons, right? I think if, uh, at least I'm of the opinion that if you are doing it just for the money, eventually you're gonna burn out because it is a lot of work and it is because you see your money, hundreds of thousands of dollars are invested. And if something doesn't go right, it's going to cause you a lot of stress. So really for me, there have been multiple reasons. Uh, my parents back in India have always invested in real estate. Uh, I do think real estate is a great vehicle for investment because your money is tied with a real asset, not something that can vaporize. You know, with market cycles, all asset classes will go up and down. But at least with real estate investments, you're getting your monthly cash flow through rental income, and it's tied into a real physical asset. And I've seen that played out, uh, being played out very well for my dad. And my dad is now retired, and he's living off of rental income. By no means he's a millionaire, but he's financially free. And I've seen that with my own eyes, and that was my goal as well. In the US, I think in the, in the capitalist economy, you can borrow money at really low interest rates, put it to work and make your money work for you. No, in no other asset class, you can borrow money from the banks and invest in Bitcoin or stock market, but banks are more than happy to lend you money to invest in real estate, borrow at three, under 3% now. And then if you're making about 15 to 20 cash on cash returns on that, you're basically using that leverage to generate income for you. So it's basically passive income, uh, financial freedom, hopefully, you know, retire a little sooner than I would have without real estate, right? So that's one of the goals, but primarily, and I think most importantly, I just love it. I think it, it gives me an opportunity to uh, showcase the creative side of me because my engineering and technology uh, focused job is very analytical in nature but I do have a creative side in me and real estate provides me with that opportunity to take a distressed asset and convert it into something beautiful. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned so many amazing points um, regarding that, that I obviously um, can relate to and relate to what we do here at Dwelling. Um, so, I mean, kind of let's, let's talk about this first deal, right? So kind of tell us, how did you find it? Um, how did you fund it? What was the backstory? Of course, you're still in this in the deal, so you haven't gone full cycle of or done an exit. But how's the um, asset been run, and you know, um, are your business plan being operationalized at this point, or you're just really still early in the phase? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this deal, uh, we it was on market. We found it. It was on MLS. We found it through Redfin essentially, and this was right when we had just started looking at fourplexes. And the reason we started with fourplexes is because it's multifamily and we were always want, we always wanted to invest in multifamily for multiple reasons. You know, your CapEx is spread across multiple units, a lower risk of vacancies. You know, if one unit is vacant, you still have other seven. So we were looking at a fourplex to buy, but then uh, two of these fourplexes right next to each other came on market and the location was just phenomenal. It was a class A location, uh, but the assets, both buildings were extremely distressed. Uh, so I think looking back for someone starting out, 
those two properties would have scared them a little bit. Uh, I was also a little bit intimidated, but I knew one rule that, hey, if you have the right location, sooner or later, you can make it work. Maybe it won't cash flow for a year or two, but eventually it will because you know you are in the right location. So we went ahead, pulled the trigger, uh, and the numbers actually worked. Like we had uh, educated ourselves using Ken McElroy and Bigger Pockets books, and we're using all of these different underwriting tools, primarily the Bigger Pockets Burr calculator and so on. And even with conservative estimates, the numbers were working. But the real work began after we bought the property because we initially thought not having done a rehab before, not even on a single family home that we were living in, going into such a heavy rehab, there was a lot of learning. So we, we tried to educate ourselves by reading books like Estimating Rehab Costs by J. Scott, but reading books and actually doing it, a whole different ballgame. So we, we estimated 100 to 120 grand in rehab costs, ended up spending 200 grand. Uh, fortunately, we had enough re reserves to dip into and get it done. But uh, a lot of learning along the way that, you know, even if you uh, rehab in the interiors, you still have to make sure the exteriors look good. Because as soon as we did that, we got a lot of attention. People started stopping by, hey, when, when are these going to be available for rent and so on? We working on these units for three months, four months, interiors, nobody cared. As soon as the exterior got fixed up, people started stopping by. So it was a marketing thing in itself. And also the exterior things, they are anyways CapEx costs that you would eventually do. So we were like, okay, my, anyways, we needed a new roof. Uh, the bricks and mortar was you know, kind of falling apart. So we painted the building dark gray, made it look a little bit more modern to attract our target tenant base who are millennials. So they really like modern looking buildings. So we tried to go for that look. And after that, you know, once the property was ready, within two weeks, we were able to lease them out. Um, and we are doing property management ourselves currently, primarily because we want to learn the business. Eventually, we plan to outsource, but, you know, wanted to make sure we get good quality tenants, screen them, got them in in two weeks. And after that, in another two months, it was really on paper, a stable asset. And we were able to do a cash out refi and pull out about 70% of the cash that we had invested in, including the rehab. So it was not a true bar deal, but most of it was pulled out using the cash out refi. So that's basically the complete cycle, if you will. We haven't sold or liquidated the asset yet, but uh, it, it's functioning well. There are hardly any maintenance calls because we did a heavy rehab. And it's cash flowing quite well. And we actually converted one of the units to Airbnb because it was a class A location and that's producing even more income. So that's basically in summary, that, that was our first deal. So that if there's somebody listening to this and thinking, I'm in my market, I'm looking on the MLS, I can't find these kinds of deals, right? And that was my reply to you on, on Bigger Buckets, right? What do you say to that person? I would say, you know, of course, the inventory levels right now in this market is definitely we are at all time low inventory. Some of these deals, I, when I started looking at these deals about a year ago, they were a little bit more common. Now they're more and more uncommon, but it's not like they're not existing. I can still see some of these deals, at least fourplexes come on the MLS, uh, you know, two of them a month, three of them a month in good areas that where the numbers can actually work. 
which would not even require a lot of rehab. The numbers work as is. You can just buy and cash flow from day one and basically just do a little bit of cosmetic rehab. Um, but I think MLS still is a good source to source deals for fourplexes and so on. So if, if you're going further than that and looking at 20, 30 unit commercial properties, you can find some deals on LoopNet, but in those asset classes, I would say like cold calling or having broker relationships or having a certain channel for deal flow works a little bit better. You can find better deals. But for someone who's starting out and is looking for duplexes, triplexes or quads, you can find them on MLS even to, to this day. So, so yeah, no, thanks for, for saying that. I think somebody definitely listening to this needs to, to hear that, right? I mean, you, you, you just have to keep on looking, right? And keep on sending offers, right? That, that's the two prerequisites, right? Um, and then eventually you, you get a deal, right? Um, so you, you did this deal, you, like you said, kind of went full circle, you pulled out some, <clears throat> some equity. And then what did you do next? Yeah, so after we pulled out the equity, um, actually there had been one property, a 10 unit property, which had been on our radar. And that had shown on the market when we were still rehabbing these eight units, the first property. And we were like, oh, if we had cash right now, we would have for sure gone and bought that property because it was in really good location. The whole area in that neighborhood is being gentrified. Again, a class C property, 1965 construction, but it had really solid bones and it was all like all two bedroom units and the rents were significantly below market as in like market rents were 1200 and these were at 600. So we knew that we could, once we fix it up, we could easily more than double the rents, but we didn't have cash at the time. So we saw that property come on the market, it went pending. And at the time we were not thinking about doing JV deals or you know, partnering up with people. At that time, it was purely, okay, let's just do our own projects and try to gain that experience so that at least if you gain, uh, get burnt, it's your own money and you're not you know, losing investor money. Uh, so at that time, you were like, okay, well, more deals will come through and we let it slide. That property goes spending. Uh, and then after some time, it comes back on the market. But at that time, we were still not ready to buy. And after we had done the rehab on the first eight units, did the cash out refi, that property comes back on the market. And I'm like, man, this looks like it's meant to be ours. So sometimes, you know, I believe in luck and, you know, if it's meant to be yours, it will be yours. So I contacted the broker and uh, said, hey, you know, we are interested in this property. And to incentivize that broker a little bit more, we used him as a dual agent. So now, you know, he was gonna get dual commissions so he really worked with us and told us what the seller is expecting, what the story was behind that property and stuff like that. And the seller was just tired because he was uh, out of the country and it was constantly requiring a lot of work. And because it was in bad shape, they couldn't raise the rent. So he was caught in this cycle. So we were like, okay, let's get it done. Uh, we were able to negotiate the deal, buy it for about $50,000 under list price. And now we are extensively rehabbing that property and basically doing a rinse and repeat of what we did with our initial eight units. So we are hoping to wrap that one up in about three months. Nice, nice. Um, so you, you said something in the beginning, you said if it's, you know, someone brand new to the game and they see some of this asset that you're buying, they might think, 
Mm, I'm not sure if I want to, you know, go into a, a really hairy deal that's going to require, you know, extensive rehab, but you know, you, you did, right. So going into that and kind of going through that process, what did you learn that you just could not foresee before you started the process? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. It's time and money. Uh, I think from a time standpoint, when you're not experienced doing rehabs, you think, oh, this looks pretty simple. I think it will be done in a couple months. But no, it, it takes a lot of time to do a value add, a deep value add rehab. Took us six months while I thought it would take us three. Uh, the other thing is you have to recognize that if you have tenants already, it's going to take some time to get the tenants out or work with them to move them to another unit so that you can start working on those units. If you have to, you have to go through evictions. Fortunately, knock on wood for us, we didn't have to do any evictions, but we did have to do cash for keys. So give them a little bit of cash to help them move and stuff like that. And all of that takes time. So I think one thing that anyone who's starting out and getting into like a heavy rehab, they need to factor in that if you think it's going to take six months, you just account for 12 months, you know, just double it. And, and kind of the same thing with money also, if it's your first rehab and if you're estimating a hundred grand, just, say, just factor in 200, just double that number. I'm not saying that, you know, even if you're at 120, go ahead and spend more, uh, but you, there are always going to be surprises, especially, I mean, the first eight units we bought, that's, that was a 1929 property. So you might find asbestos and you got to get a special team there to remediate that environmental risk factors. You may find, uh, you, know, uh, you know, knob and tube wiring like we did, and most of the insurance companies won't insure the property. So we had to rewire the whole building. Now, that doesn't really increase the rents. But now we know that we don't have to worry about electrical work for the next 25 years. So some of that is something that you may not, as a new person investor, you may not factor in all of those costs. Experienced investors can spot those things relatively easily. You know, you see a panel box and, hey, that's knob and tube wiring. That's another 25, 30 grand per building, stuff like that. But initially, you miss out on some of those things. And I think some of the experienced investors also miss out on some of these things. So you should always factor in for definitely more than what you initially estimate for rehabs. I think those two are the biggest lessons learned for us. Yeah, and I really love like hearing your story because you kind of started with the, you know, the fourplex times two, and then now you did the tenplex, and now I see you're wearing the shirt. You're you're drinking your own Kool Aid like me. I'm wearing the dwelling shirt. You're wearing Company Capital Group. So clearly, you and I can see the the the, the logo right. They kind of going up the steps right. Those bar charts, those increasing bar charts. For those listening, check this out on YouTube to see what I'm referring to on Jay's shirt. So you're obviously going to the next level, right? So you've done some of these heavy rehabs, these big projects, and now it looks like you're positioning yourself, or maybe you have, you've already done that into going into bigger assets, right? What would you right. say to someone that is trying to do the same exact thing, which is, you know, you've done some of this small multifamily, now you're trying to go large, right? What right. is the best way to make that transition? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and honestly, a question, an answer to which I'm trying to figure out myself. Uh, it's not like I already have figured out how to scale. Uh, scaling too fast can, I think, burn you. And then, you know, if you don't deliver on your investors, uh, all the promises, I, I wouldn't say you don't, there are no guaranteed returns in syndications, 
but still, if you're not able to meet those expectations, word travels very fast. And I think real estate and multifamily is a pretty tightly net world. So you have to deliver on some of these promises. So I think scaling up too fast is, I think there are some risks associated with that. But I think in today's world, where everything is powered by technology and social media, you can definitely scale up faster than you could have 10 years ago. So I've asked this question to a lot of seasoned investors, syndicators with four or 5,000 plus units. And I've asked them, hey, do you recommend doing everything, you know, 10x Grand Cardone uh, mentality, right? Go big or go home. Or do you recommend start small, make smaller mistakes and grow organically and set up a big business over 10, 20 years, you know, over decades and use that experience? And I've heard both sides of this uh, story, but I think that I'm trying to select something that's midway between these approaches. So next step for me, I'm thinking of doing 30 to 50, 70 unit JV deals where the other partners also know a little bit about real estate. And it's not like I'm taking completely brand new uh, passive investors who know nothing about real estate. That way the other investors also have some level of experience and can put in the work with me and are sophisticated investors enough so they know what the risks are involved in the real estate. So I think that's kind of my idea of scaling up, doing a few JV deals, making them successful, and then eventually going up into that 100 plus unit territory and doing syndications. The other, I think, great idea or strategy that I think everybody should invest, uh, uh, sorry, uh, factor into, especially if they are new and trying to take real estate investing really seriously, is use a mentor or mentors, more than one mentor, right? Because, you know, sure, you can learn from your own mistakes, but it's always better if you can learn from other people's mistakes. And these mentors who have created multi-million dollar portfolios, they have a lot of stories to share and they can pull you off of a certain mistake that you are about to make. And they can watch over your shoulder and let you know that, hey, you know what, this is not that big of good of a deal that you think. Have you looked at some of these nuances about maybe, maybe a foundation or structural damage in the building, or maybe it's in a flood zone that you didn't catch and you reviewed that deal with the mentor and they were able to catch. So I think all of those things play a big role when you have to scale up. So just to kind of summarize, it's like scale eventually, you know, from eight to 10 to 20 to 50, not going from eight to 500 unit apartment complexes. Um, and then to really leverage network, uh, leverage mentors to help you along the journey. Yeah, and like the reality, you said something that I'm really huge on is that kind of mentality of like, go big, go home, Grand Cardone. And then, you know, just really like evolutionary, right? Like start from the bottom and work your way up. The, the reality is this, right? Unless you're Saudi prince, you're probably not going to go big anyway if you're just starting out. Like if you're in your third year, unless you're like a really rich kid. Now, for Grand Cardone, right? I mean, I just really want to touch on this for anyone listening to this is we are seeing 30, 40 years of work in his Instagram today, right? So I, people reach out to me all the time and I try to tell them like, hey, this guy started in his 30s. Now he's in his 60s. There's 30 years of timeline that is not on Instagram, <laughs> okay? So, yeah. So people have to understand that it takes patience 
right? Um, it's not going to happen right now. And you know this, Jay, what we do as syndicators or multifamily investors is we work like, yeah. like, 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 what do you, what do people think we do? Like I go to, I still went to my office today. I, I left my, my wife and my two young kids, girls, I went to the office, right? To do, you know, some work. By the way, for those listening, it's a Saturday today. So, you know, people need to understand that fact. And that's why I like speaking to guys like you that you literally don't, you know, you did your four, you know, you, I can, I can only imagine the effort you put into rehabbing those. I can, I'm right there with you because it's a lot of work, right? And that's what it takes. It is. And yeah. And it just doesn't take, it's not just like an overnight kind of thing. So I'm glad you, you, you brought that up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And initially, when you're getting started, there is a lot of hands-on work. Eventually, once you scale, then maybe you're not hauling materials from Home Depot anymore, but the work changes, but it never stops. You, you still oh, have- that is a good one. That's a treatable one. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the, 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 work, the work changes, but it never stops. I really love that. <laughs> That's exactly what I've been trying to say. Like, you are going to work, and it's usually hard. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway... We, I can keep talking to you, Jay, for, you know, on and on, but we're definitely dwelling into the quick rounds. These are going to be quick questions, quick answer. Are you ready, sir? Yeah, sure. All right. First question. What makes you, Jay, unique? What is that differentiating factor that separates you from the next guy or the next girl? Yeah, I think it is, uh, I think it's authenticity, uh, which is why, you know, one of the things I want to do is not to scale too fast because I want to make sure that I'm genuine and authentic with my investors going forward. So, yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, second question. What was the last book that you read and what was the one thing that you picked up from that book? Uh, the one that I recently read was uh, Creative Cash. Uh, that's from Jake and Gino's, I think, Bill, I forget the last name, but uh, that was an awesome book because for someone like me who's starting out focusing on deal flow, uh, how to get those creative deals, seller financing, master these options. Uh, I found a lot of value in that book. Awesome. Final question. You're busy, you're managing your assets, you're looking for new opportunities. What do you do for fun? Honestly, real estate is fun for me. Uh, so that's what I've been doing for fun. Uh, that's a very true and honest answer because my evenings and weekends Real estate investing, rehabs, that's what I'm doing. And honestly, I'm doing this because I enjoy it. It is a lot of fun for me. So that is what I'm doing for fun. I do like taking uh, vacations on and off, but those have been parked until all of these projects get done so far. So, but um, real estate is fun. Oh, I hear you and I believe it. I share that. So if somebody is listening and saying, wow, I really like this J guy, maybe then they are you. Um, you know, markets or anywhere else in the country and they want to reach out and kind of like get to know you more. Or heck, maybe they're in India, we've got a listenership all over the world. Um, how can people reach out to you, get to know you more? Yeah, perfect. So my website, which is compoundingcapitalgroup.com. I would love if people could leave, leave their details. If they're looking forward to investing in multifamily, I would love to add some value and educate people for free. You know, my main goal right now is really to create value for people. You know, I'm not actively going out there and trying to 
find investors. My main goal is to build relationships right now. So if they could just find me on this website, compoundingcapitalgroup.com and reach out to me, I'll, I'll definitely reply to them. Jake, thank you so much. I um, really appreciate you coming on. Wishing you all the best, um, you know, um, and, and keep crushing it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I uh, really appreciate it, Ola. It was a great conversation. My, my pleasure, my pleasure. You may have heard the phrase, there are a thousand ways to make a thousand dollars in real estate. Well, now you can actually tune into the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast with over a thousand, believe it, or a thousand podcasts and still going. The best real estate investing advice ever show is hosted by a very good friend of mine, Joe Fellers. Joe talks to influential thought leaders. We share the best advice ever with none of the fluff. You've got to check this stuff out. So listen and subscribe at bestevershow.com. That's bestevershow.com.